let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of your son, Jesus, again. And we declare that you are enough, God. Day to day, Father, it's very hard to remember that you're enough. Our hearts long for so many things, God, but you are enough. Our flesh and our heart may fail, but you are our strength and our portion forever. It's better to have nothing else in you than to have everything else without you, Father. You are enough. God, we pray that as we continue to worship you in your word, that you would remind us that you're enough. And you would remind us how big you are. Father, it is stuff in our life that seems like it's too big for you. Remind us that you're enough. There's obstacles that seem too tall for you, God. Remind us that you are enough. There's distractions that seem like they'll take all our focus. Father, remind us that you are enough. Remind us that worrying, that you take care of lilies and sparrows. And that you'll take care of us. How kind you are, God. So, Father, we pray that you would remind us of that now, that you would speak to us from your word. We ask all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Um, If you don't know me, my name is Tripp. I'm one of the members here, and I am excited to get to preach God's word uh, for you this morning. Um, We're going to talk about faith this morning. I'm going to talk about faith. And... um, We're going to look at one of um, the most famous chapters in the Bible, um, and we're going to talk about faith. Uh, Before we do that, though, I just want to ask you a question. I don't know if you've ever really believed in somebody or really looked up to somebody or really needed what somebody said they would give, but then you got let down. Or even maybe somebody you vouched for, like, no, no, I promise they're going to come through. And then they let you down. Give you just an example from my life. A few years ago, my wife, in her love and kindness, this is not something she did to let me down, don't get nervous, uh, (laughs) bought me tickets to see Lauryn Hill. Now, now look. (laughs) My wife, she she knows. People ask me, My favorite album of all time. I cannot tell you for sure that there's any album that's better than The Miseducation of Lauryn Hill. It's a a perfect album. This is what I need for amens and cornerstone. If y'all too quiet, I'll just start rapping lyrics. Um, No, but so my wife is like, you know, uh, him and his homie, I'm I'm just getting them tickets to go see her. My loving wife was not aware of her track record. But I'm like, you know what, let's go. It's all good. And so we go. Y'all know what I'm about to say. All right, there's all these openers, and the DJ kept getting on it. He's gonna be like, Lauren's gonna be out any minute. <laughs> he was vouching for, her. and me and my friend are like, I mean, how long could she take? Longer than you think. <laughs> long story short, took her forever. By the time she showed up on stage, annoyed like we had showed up at our house asking for a concert, um, we were a little disappointed. But Lauryn Hill is Lauryn Hill. So our hopes are up, and we're like, at least we're going to hear our songs. 
They was a little different, that's all I'm gonna say, than they used to be. All I'm saying is there's sometimes when you really have somebody built up and there's something you really need for them, maybe you even vouch for them like that DJ did, but it doesn't really come through. That's what faith can feel like sometimes. But let me tell you, afterwards I told somebody and they was like, bro, that's your fault for going. And I felt like, you're right. We know what's going to happen. Why am I still depending that this other thing's going to happen? That's what faith can feel like sometimes. Well, it can feel like as, as we go through our daily lives and we see things not work out as we hoped and we see the world around us not really care about faith that much, we can feel like, am I just the dumb one who keeps trusting in this God to do what he said he would do? Am I the dumb one who's taking all these harder routes? Um, when we try to live by faith, it can feel kind of foolish sometimes. We can feel kind of crazy, especially in our culture. This is an interesting time in our culture to be a person of faith. Uh, being a person of faith is not what most people think of. You ask kids what they want to be when they grow up, they're normally not saying, I want to be a person of faith. Faith is seen as strange in our culture. Faith is seen as outdated. I'll, I'll read you just um, some quotes uh, about how people think about faith in our culture. Here's what one person said, a grim pattern is visible in history. When religion is the ruling force in a society, it produces horror. A stronger than the supernatural beliefs, the worst in humanity. The stronger the beliefs, the worst in humanity. A culture dominated by intense faith is cruel to people. It's how a culture often would think of faith. Um, one person said, religion is because it claims divine exemption for all of its faith. It's not just amoral, but it's immoral. Religion poisons everything. Faith is not really popular in our culture right now. Though there's some people who are less aggressive in their disdain for faith. You know, some people just think faith is fine. It don't bother me, but it's just weird and outdated. That's a strong way to think about. That's a strange way. Faith was for before we had science and we knew how the world actually worked. That's what that was for. And then there's some of us who think of faith maybe still nicely even though it's not the way the Bible may think of it. We think, oh, it's a, it's a nice thing. It's part of being a good citizen. It's like I mow my lawn so my neighbors won't get mad, and I'm a person of faith. Or, or something we hold on to from our tradition because our family with people of faith, and we're like, I don't want to have to tell my mom I don't go to church anymore, so I'll stay with this faith. Well, what, what I want you to know is the way that the writer of the Hebrews talks about faith is very different than this. The writer of the Hebrews does not look at faith as some little part of a noble citizen's life. The writer of Hebrews tells us we need to live by faith, not live with faith, not allow faith to show up, but we need to live by faith, that that's the direction, that's the foundation, that that's what our life is built on. And when we feel crazy and we're like, why am I holding on to this faith? We should look at what this scripture says about what that faith really is. You know, some people talk about faith like it's a crutch. And we might feel like, why am I still holding on to this faith if faith is a crutch? What I want to say is that faith is not a crutch. Faith is more like a gurney or a stretcher. Because with crutches, right, you still got one good leg, so you just need a little help with the hop in between. Faith, as this scripture is going to talk about it, is more like a stretcher or a gurney, as if we're absolutely, desperately hopeless to get to where we need to get without it. We don't need help hopping along. We need something to lay our uh, sick bodies on to carry us and to connect us to what we need. 
Faith is more like a gurney or a stretcher. So we're going to look at Hebrews 11, and we'll look at three things that we learn about faith in this passage. For when you feel crazy, why am I holding on to this faith? Hebrews 11. I'm going to read verses 1 to 3 to start. This is what God's Word says. Now, faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. For by this our ancestors were approved. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. First thing we look at, number one, is that faith gives you sight. Faith gives you sight. Now, all of us understand the importance of sight. It's the way we navigate through the world. It gives us security in a situation. If you're somewhere and you want to know, should I feel okay, you look around. Right. If, uh, you know, there's a reason kids are afraid of the dark, right, because they can't see. They don't know what might be lurking in those shadows if they're not able to see it. Sight is really important. And we also build our beliefs on what we can see. There's a reason. And when you try to buy a house, you can't just tell somebody to be like, no, the bank to give you a loan, be like, no, I'm good for it, bro. Like, no, I'm a man of my word. I got it. Trust me. They're like, no, no, no. We need to see something. We need to see tax returns. We need to see pesos. We need to see that money entered your account on a regular basis. We need to see your credit score, right? Uh, there's a reason when something's argued in court, there needs to be physical evidence that can be seen because we often base what we think based on this kind of evidence. So it's interesting then that the writer of the Hebrews is going to say faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. That sounds like a worldview that's very different than ours. That makes it sound like faith is at odds with sight. You might say, Trip, I think you got your point wrong. You said faith gives us sight. This sounds like it's at odds with it. So this definition here of faith is the writer of Hebrews is going to help us understand it better. This is not like a, a full comprehensive definition of faith in that it tells us everything about it. You know, it would almost be like me saying, you know, Jessica is my wife. Now, that doesn't tell you everything there is to know about her, but it tells you some, like that she has, you know, there are other things about her that are also important, that she has good taste in husbands, those kind of things. But it doesn't tell you everything about her. This gives us a really good picture of what faith is. It doesn't tell us every single thing, but it gives us a very good definition of what faith is and a good way for us to help to understand it, especially because the way our culture thinks of faith is largely false. You know, one of the ways culture thinks of faith often, or even is the word faith is like it's hoping or wish, right? Like, oh, I got faith that this is going to work out. Right? Or, you know, I didn't show up to work, but I, I got faith I'm going to get paid. It's based on absolutely nothing whatsoever. That is not what faith is here. That is not what, um, and faith is also, as our culture thinks of, that kind of hoping and wishing that makes us feel good because we have that tradition. But, um, or, or, you know, or it's strange and out of step with the world that we live in. It's understandable why culture feels that way because most of our beliefs as a culture um, are based on the assumption that we can't know anything unless we can see it and feel it with our senses, unless I can do a science experiment on it, unless I can measure it with some kind of machine, that can't possibly be something real. But what the writer of Hebrews is telling us is, not only is faith in God respectable, it is a more sure way to move through the world. That faith gives us a more sober view of reality. And to be clear, I'm not talking about just any old faith. I, I, I don't know if you understand this, that faith is not a virtue. Faith itself is not a virtue. Faith is only as good as the object of that faith. Believing strongly 
in something that is not what it claims to be is not a virtue. Just to give you an example, you know, um, I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. And let me tell you, at the beginning of every season, I'm like, this is the year for us. This is the year we're going back. It's going to be 90s again, another Super Bowl. And yet, now look, we started out kind of strong in the season two, and every year I'm like, they're not going to get me. And somehow I start believing they can do it, despite the fact that all the evidence is to the contrary, that no matter how good they start, they will throw the season away just to spite me. <laughs> That's a foolish kind of faith. We're not talking about just any kind of faith. The writer of Hebrews is talking about specifically this faith in the true God. This faith in the God of the Scriptures, right? He says faith is the reality of what's hoped for, the proof of what's not seen. That word there for reality, and you know, if you've heard this verse, it might, you might have heard it, you know, the confidence or the assurance of things hoped for. He's saying we hope for things that we can't see with our eyes. We hope for things that maybe haven't been fulfilled yet. I think one helpful way to think of it is that faith can show us what our eyes cannot Faith can show us what our eyeballs cannot show us, right? And he talks about it as the proof of what's seen, Um, that there are some things we can't hold in our hands that we know to be true. So the people of faith are those who build their life on promises that haven't all been fulfilled yet. That there's some substance that, that, you know, I know that God is with me even though I can't see him with my eyes. And I know my heart is new even though I haven't undergone surgery. That I know I am filled with his Holy Spirit even though there's no machine that can measure that presence. That I know that this world was created by a powerful God and didn't just come about um, even though I wasn't there to watch it. And it's strange for him to talk about faith as proof unless it's that faith shows us what our eyeballs cannot That there's something substantive and real when I say that I know I will spend an eternity with God. Um, And I know sometimes we're like, but how could we do that without all this evidence? I just want you to know that all of us build our lives on faith. We make decisions based on what we believe all of us do. And sometimes it's based on things we haven't seen for ourselves. You know, I'll give you an example. Just last week, I, I flew to another state. And I trusted that when I get on this plane, I'm going to make it to the next place. I trust them. You know, it seems planes are amazing. It's a little bit like, uh, you know, voodoo or black magic. I don't know how these rooms just be floating in the air safely. And I just, you know, streaming new seasons of TV shows all the way around. But I trust it. And it's not because I went and I looked up under the plane just to examine it to make sure the plane was good. If I did, I don't know what I would be doing down there. I'd be like, yes, it's more metal. But what I do is I trust those pilots, I trust those airlines, that they, those engineers, that they're doing what they're supposed to do. They're credible, they're trustworthy, so I, I trust them. Even though I haven't seen that with my own eyes, all of us build our lives in this way. The question is, who are the credible people that we should be trusting? What is credible testimony that we can actually build our life on? And in this passage, he's going to you know, point to the, uh, he's going to give testimony about the credibility of this God. One, he's going to go through this long list of people that God was faithful to, almost a a hall of fame of people who trusted God. He's going to talk about Cain. He's going to talk about Enoch. Uh, He's going to talk about Noah. He's going to talk about Abraham, right? He's going to talk about Jacob and Esau. 
Um, and on and on and on, Moses, you know, he's going to talk about all these people who have trusted God in difficult circumstances and how God has been credible. But before he even gets to them, in verse 3, he says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. So that he instantly wants to undercut any idea that just because something is invisible that it's not real. He wants to undercut anything, any understanding of the world that dismisses anything that cannot be seen by saying, if everything that you can see was created by that which you cannot see, how could you possibly think about it as if unseen things are not powerful? How could you possibly think they're not real? This is one of the reasons that seeing um, uh, is not the best indication of what's real sometimes. Our eyes can deceive us. You know you have been in the house going to get some water late at night, and it was a shadow, and you was like, I don't know how the killer from Scream got in here, but he's here. I see him over there. Our eyes can deceive us. You know, you can, you can even see someone give you a facial expression in a conversation, and then the whole day you're like, they hate me. What did I do? You spend all day thinking about, man, did I do this? What did I? And then you ask them later, like, bro, what happened? I saw how you was looking at me. I was like, oh, my stomach hurt, bro, and I was just headed. Our eyes can deceive us. We don't have all the facts. We are not an omniscient God. However, there is an omniscient God who has proved his credibility to us over and over and over again. And here's the thing. He's saying this unseen, powerful word of God, that if the word of God is strong enough to create all of the universe from nothing, then I want you to know that the word of God is strong enough to uphold you even when you cannot see. When you feel crazy about your faith, like, but I can't see all these things, I I do not want you to for a second think that the Word of God is not as powerful because you cannot see it. I dare you to show me something that you can see and measure it up against the power and strength of the Word of God. This Word that holds the universe together by the Word of, uh, Scripture says God holds the universe together by the Word of His power, that everything that it's sent out to do, it accomplishes. I dare you to show me something visible that's stronger than the invisible Word of God. Everything visible that we see that amazes us was created by that invisible word of God. The word of God is powerful. And he's saying faith gives us sight to see the things we cannot see. I mean, there's so much in our lives where we don't really know what's going on. We like to pretend we know everything. We don't know nothing. We don't know what tomorrow's going to be like. I was just talking to a friend on the way in here. They got a renovation done in their house. It rained really bad, and that rain poured in to their home through a hole in the ceiling. They didn't know that. There are things that happen all the time that we do not know. We do not know everything, but we do know a God who does. And that God tells us, you're not going to be able to see everything, but you can trust me. Now, now here's, just, here's just one thing. There are a lot of things that we can see. They're going to fight against the truths that we cannot see. We, and I was just telling my wife this last week, you know, like, oh, man, this last two weeks, I feel like I've been too in my phone. Like, there's too, I'm doing too much of this. And most of the time, it's, it ain't nothing. It's nothing at all. I'm like, how many ankles can I watch get broken? How many people tripping and falling down steps can I see? Right? How many people playing keys and me being like, I wish I could play keys like that. Like, how often can I do this? Um... The other thing, like, as we do that, that shapes our worldview. What we do see with our eyes can absolutely fight against this truth that we don't see, which means we have to be really, really intentional about what we are putting into ourselves constantly because whether or not you try, there will be lots of stuff 
you take into your soul at all times, never-ending streams of things. What Scripture tells us is that faith comes through hearing, hearing through the Word of Christ. I want to encourage you. It's very simple. Your grandmother probably said this to you. You got to stay in the Word. You have to stay in the Word. And here's the thing, you know, if you're here and you you're not really sure where you would be at with faith in God, and you're like, that just sounds crazy to build your life on something you don't have evidence for, to build your life on faith. I just want you to know the question is not whether or not we will live by faith. It's what we will live in faith in. We build our lives by faith based on what we believe. The question is, will you build it on this God who can hold the weight Oh, you're building on something that cannot hold it. I I just want you to know your security in your job is not strong enough to hold the weight of a human soul. Your security in your relationships is not strong enough to hold the weight of a human soul. Your, Your finances are not strong enough to hold the weight of a human soul. And our faith in these other things that are flimsy, this would be like if someone built me a paper chair and they said, it looks good. And I said, that looks nice. If I'm to sit on it, it cannot hold up my weight. I want you to know you are made in the image of God. And the only thing that can hold up your weight for you to build your life on it is God himself. And that's what he's called us to. So the question is not will you live by faith. What I want you to ask yourself is, has this God shown himself to be credible enough that that's the faith I build my life on? Amen? Here's part of why it's hard. is because so many things we do see with our eyes point us in the other direction. Um, this is one of the reasons we want to encourage each other, build up each other's faith with the word of God. Faith gives us sight. Three, three disclaimers before I move on to the, to the next point. The first one is this. I, I'm just, I'm, I just want you to know I'm not encouraging a blind faith that doesn't ask any questions, um, that, that just uh, goes along with something because your grandmother said it. What I'm saying instead is there are some truths that we cannot see. God has shown himself to be credible enough. I want you to build your life on what you already know about God. I don't want you to not know anything about God. I want you to build your life on what you've already seen of his track record and credibility. And one of the places that I start in terms of his credibility um, is the fact that um, he died and he got up from the grave. And then 500 people saw them with their eyeballs. And then all the people that were following him were so amazed that he got up from the grave that they kept telling people about him. And all of them were murdered for saying that he is who he said he was. That, to me, is a strong place to start in terms of the credibility of this guy. So when I run into something that I'm not sure about, I'm like, but you know what? Jesus did seem to get up from the grave. And if they was lying, all the people there, they would be like, no, he didn't. This does not spread across without the credibility of Jesus getting up from the grave. Second disclaimer, I'm also not saying throw out science and other ways that we confirm truth. I'm just saying um, uh, science experiments is not the only way to verify that anything is real and true. Different kinds of truth are testified to in different ways. And then the last one is this, I'm also not saying that we'll never doubt. I'm not saying that saving faith cannot exist alongside doubt. And I think when we have doubt, um, when we're doubting something we know about God or that we heard about God or God is with us, sometimes we feel like we have to go into a corner and wrestle with that all by ourselves. I do not want our church to be a place where people who doubt or have questions don't feel welcome because they'll be batted down before they listen to. And I don't want us to be so discouraged by any doubt that we think I must not be one of his. When I come across doubt, what I want to say is the same thing that the man said in the Gospels where he said, Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. I want to take my unbelief to Jesus and say, help me to see you clearly. I'm struggling. He's strong. He can handle it. 
Number one, faith gives us sight. Number two, faith makes you righteous. Faith makes you righteous. If you were to just go anywhere in our city, ask people, do you want to be righteous? People would probably be like, no, probably not. And I think because we have, you know, images that come to mind when we think about people being righteous. Maybe we think of people who are hypocritical, right? Maybe we think of people who are prudish, strange, disconnected. So it doesn't sound like something someone would aspire to. Well, I, you know, I just want you to know that Scripture talks about righteousness differently. Um, look at what it says in verse 2. He says, he's talking about faith. He says, for by this our ancestors were approved. He's talking about by faith. Now, how is how are their ancestors approved by faith? That's not usually how approval works. Usually when you approve for something, you approve for that loan because they looked at your tax returns and they were like, sure. Usually maybe you approve, you get into a school because you say, oh, look at all these things I did, look at my grades. Look, you know, look at all the stuff I did just for the sake of this conversation so I can impress you one day. And then you approve based on who you are and what you've done. That's not usually how people are approved. He's saying their ancestors were approved of by God by faith. You look at verse 5. It says, by faith Enoch was taken away, and so he did not experience death. He was not to be found because God took him away. For before he was taken away, he was approved as one who pleased God. Now, without faith, it is impossible to please God, since the the one who uh, draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him by faith. Enoch was seen as righteous, so righteous that he didn't even die. God just took him up into heaven, which is very impressive. Verse 17, talking about Abraham. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. And what we know about Isaac uh, from other parts in Scripture is that it's Isaac's faith that was counted to him as righteousness. He does not, I mean, Abraham's faith, it does not say Abraham was such a good person that God said, you're righteous. It was his faith that was counted as righteousness. The scripture tells us he believed God so much after God had said, hey, you know, you're going to have descendants that will number like the stars. And him and Abraham and Sarah were like, uh, you know, it's me, Abraham. I'm like, I'm real old, Father. And he said, yes. And he, and he finally got this son, and God says, look, take him up there and sacrifice him. Abraham, uh, what Hebrews tells us is that Abraham believed God so much that he said, well, obviously God is going to resurrect him from the dead. He thought, obviously, God is going to raise my son from the dead because obviously he could not be going back on his promises. That's not the kind of God that I have. And it's that faith that was counted to him as righteousness. The Bible talks a lot about good works, about us looking more like God. But what Scripture is really clear about is that we are sinners. We cannot be righteous enough to meet God's standard. And if we are going to be righteous before God... That righteousness has to be given to us. I I think we assume God has this high standard, so let me go to church, let me do all of this stuff. If you're here and you're wondering where am I at with God, I want you to know you cannot be righteous enough to make God accept you based on how good of a person you are. What we see even from these heroes of the faith, Enoch, um, who was taken up in heaven, didn't even die. Abraham, you know, faith is what God was pleased with. Faith is what, how uh, they were counted as righteous. Um, now, of course, this doesn't mean that there are no good works present. One of the things you see over and over again is 
It says, by faith, Abel brought God a better offering. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life. He walked with God. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, built an ark to save his family. Faith shows up in how we live our lives. Those good works do show up. It's like when a virus infects you and those symptoms come out. A cough doesn't give you that virus. A cough is evidence that the virus is there. There are symptoms. I want you to know your good works, the way you live your life, are the symptoms of this faith in God. So it makes us righteous in the sense that we become more like God when we trust him. But we cannot be seen as righteous before God just by doing good stuff. Paul talks about this in, in Philippians. Where Paul and, and in Ephesians where he's always talking about being in Christ, being in him, in him. Listen, listen to, um, I'm gonna, just going to read Philippians 3, 8. It says, um, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Um, he's saying that righteousness is found in God one different than his own. And, and what Paul is saying is, look, if you um, want to be blessed, the place where you need to be is not in this building, it's not in your house, it's in Jesus. That's where the forgiveness is, it is in Jesus. That's where the deliverance is, it is in Jesus. That's where the salvation is, it is in Jesus. That's where the real joy is, is in Jesus. That's where the righteousness is, is in Jesus. And that faith in Jesus is how we are declared righteous. We do not want to face God outside of Jesus. Just, just one more illustration just to help us grasp this. When I was much younger, um, I went to an event, and I had to get a rental car. And I, I gave him my credit card so I could get that rental car, and the woman looked at me. She leaned in. She said, your car got declined. And I said, no, it didn't. Run it back. She's like, no, no, no. Uh, okay. She did it again was still declined. Um, I was deeply offended. Um, and I was like, no, ma'am, I work hard, you know. I'm, I'm faithful to provide for me, myself and my family. Go ahead, run that again. <laughs> and so we go through the circle where she's running the card, and I'm deeply offended. Um, and my friend is like, bro, just use my card. And I said, bro, why don't you stay over there? <laughs> I work hard. So why don't you, matter of fact, why don't you go wait and I'll come pick you up in the rental car that I get with my money, right? And we're going through this thing. But what I could have done, instead of feeling proud, because for whatever reason, that money was not in the account where it should have been, my friend is like, but you can just use my card. If I was going to get that car, I was going to need somebody to give me something in my, in their, from their account that I didn't have in my own. And here's the, the truth about God and, and being seen as righteous in his sight. Our righteousness account is empty. Our righteousness is filthy rags. There's no way we can run that card as many times as we want. We will not be righteous enough. But there is a Savior named Jesus who says, I have more than enough righteousness. What if you were treated as if you had my account? If we are to be righteous before God, it has to be a righteousness that comes from God himself, that Jesus himself gives us, and the way we get that is through faith. This is why faith is not a crutch, it's a stretcher. It's that faith that connects us with this Savior who has called us righteous. This is the good news of Jesus. I think people get confused about what it means to know Jesus, that you come to a church and you try to do enough good stuff to make him like you. And what's beautiful about the good news of Jesus is that Jesus says, you are a mess and I know. Come here. I got you. This is why trusting Jesus should be free. The burden's been taken off of our back. We are already seen as righteous in his sight. 
And we get to begin the journey of God, uh, the journey of God making us more and more righteous as we trust him more and more. Amen. Faith makes us righteous. Verse 5, it says, Now without faith it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. He says, without faith it is impossible to please God. God is pleased because we trust him. And no amount of doing nice things can jump over that. Faith gives you sight. Faith makes you righteous. Last thing, faith gives you a future. Faith gives you a future. We've all seen some things go very differently than we thought they would. Things that look good on paper but don't pan out. Or things that look horrible on paper and then they pan out much better than you would have expected. Scripture is really, really clear that we will face lots of trial in our life, things that will come upon us that we would not expect. Um, and the, the God of Scripture um, wants us to know that so we can uh, prepare accordingly. And we can get in this mode where we're like, no, I believe who God is. I believe his promises. But then we get a little squirmy when those promises aren't fulfilled immediately, which is understandable. When you get a sense that somebody's not keeping their word, then it makes us want to be like, I'm not sure you are who I thought you were. But what if God is just not answering on our timetable? Listen to verse 13, talking about all these heroes of the faith. He says, these all died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised. But they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Now, those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. I'll stop there for now. I mean... You could forgive some of these heroes of the faith if they were bitter. You could forgive Moses for being like, God, I did all these things you asked me to do. I was out in the wilderness with these bums, <laughs> these stiff-necked fools you had me out there with, God. And I trusted you, and I did what you called me to do, and then I don't even get to see the promised land with my own eyes. Everything I've been calling them to, to trust you, and then I don't get to enter the promised land myself. You could, you, could, you could understand if they were a little bit bitter about that. Have you ever seen a kid not get what they were promised? Have you ever seen an adult not get what they were promised? <laughs> when we feel like a promise has been broken, we feel that betrayal. There's a sense of betrayal. But these heroes of the faith didn't stop trusting God because they hadn't received it yet. They didn't take that as some kind of sign that God would never do what he said, just that God had not done it. Yet, I want to ask you, what happens when you just haven't taken hold of some of God's promises? Do you doubt everything you've ever known about God? Do we completely forget that, he hasn't, that he's proven himself time and time again? It says about these heroes of the faith, they saw them from afar and they greeted them and they continued to trust God. Can you wait on God? Can you wait on him? We cannot only be good, faithful to God in good seasons when we can see all his faithfulness in the very things we ask for with our eyes. We, we can't panic. You know, to give you an example, sometimes I will tell my kids that we are, you know, that this, we're going to do something special after lunch, watch a movie something, and they're all excited. Let me tell you, the moment the last bite is taken, the moment they do this, if the fun hasn't already started, they are furious. And they look at me like, Father, you have betrayed me. And they start to panic. And they forget everything they've known about me 
as a trustworthy father who loves them. They're like, you are a fraud, sir. You don't keep your word. You don't care about us. They forget all the, I'm like, do you know how many goldfish I bought you over your lifetime? My question is, are we the same way? Where as soon as God hasn't done what we've asked for, in that very moment, we're so impatient, we throw out everything we've known about him as a loving, gracious father. Everything we've known about him as a provider. Everything we've known about the way that he has never forsaken any of his people. And for some reason, as soon as things get difficult, we sometimes think that he's forsaken us. I don't know if you've ever been in a season where it feels like everything that could go wrong does. There's some weeks that feel like that. Sometimes there are just long seasons that feel like that. And it can really make us begin to wrestle and struggle with this God that we're trusting in. If if you're in that season right now, I just want to remind you that God is the same God that he was before that season began. And the thing that gave you the deep hope and trust in that God is his credibility and his love and his grace and his power. I want you to know none of those things have changed. And this is not a God who's going to disappoint us, that he's worth waiting on. He's the same God. These saints that we see in this passage held on to what they knew about this God. This is why it's so important to remind ourselves what we know about God. Peter writes in uh, chapter 1 his uh, in First Peter, he says, I'm writing to stir you up by way of reminder. I think sometimes we get excited about learning new things about God. We would look a lot more like Jesus if we kept reminding us what we've already known about him. Reminders of his faithfulness. One of the best ways you can serve your brothers and sisters in Jesus is to remind them how good God is. Remind them how strong God is. And sometimes instead of just saying, yes, that's hard, also say, Yes, that's really hard, and also God is really good. He's still good in the midst of it. And I think sometimes when we're going through those seasons, we can feel like, why me? Why is it that God's faithfulness is seen in all these other places? And it feels like we're the only ones who are having these crazy, tough trials and seasons. One of the things that this passage does for me is it reminds me that is not the exception. That tends to be the rule. Because as you look at these heroes of the faith and the things that they went through and still trusted God in the midst of it, right? We see Joseph in here who was sold into slavery and trusted God anyway, right? And time and time again as people are persecuted, go through hard times, they see loved ones die, right? That there's a God who's strong even in the midst of it, right? He says uh, about David, uh, he talks about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms and ministered justice uh, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of flames, escaped the edge of the sword, weakness was turned to strength, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refused to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. We should not think, why me? Why am I the only one this faith is hard for? There is a long testimony of people who had difficult seasons and God was just as faithful the entire time. Just because your circumstances have changed doesn't mean that your God has. He's the same God that he was the whole time. Last thing I'll say is is he talks about them. He says, 
They saw him from a distance and greeted them, confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. What these heroes of the faith understood is that this is not their final home. And when you understand this is not your final home, it changes how you interact with stuff. When I go to another country, I do not get confused that I'm somewhere where there are other cultures and customs. I do not uh, get frustrated every time someone talks to me in another language and say, why are you talking to me like that? I don't understand that. I know there's some comforts of home that I don't have. I don't judge them if their food is different, except for British people eating beans and tomatoes for breakfast. Bro, don't do that. I judge that. <laughs> but there are some comforts that I know I'm just not going to have because I'm not at home. What he's saying they understood is this is not their final home. What I want to remind you is this is not your final home. And just because you're not holding all the promises in your hand right now does not mean you will not. That we are temporary residents here and that there is a God who delights to pour out riches of grace and mercy on us for an eternity. And that he will fulfill all his promises. Me and my friend felt foolish because we waited for Lauren Hill for hours. And then she came out and disappointed us. And I think sometimes we think we're going to wait on God and then we'll be disappointed. Well, I want you to know God has never disappointed his people. God has never failed to come through. And as we wait and we trust, just know he's not going to leave you hanging. He's not going to switch up. He's going to fulfill his promises in even grander and more loving ways than you can imagine. And in the meantime, trust. Faith is not a crutch. It is a gurney or a stretcher, and it connects us to the God who gives us everything we need. Amen. Amen. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your word, and we thank you for your son, Jesus. Father, we pray that you would help us to trust you more. God, that you show us how incredible you are. For those of us who are wrestling with our trust in you, Father, we pray you'd help us to trust you more. For my friends in the room who are not even sure if they think you're real, God, we pray you would show yourself to them in ways that they haven't seen before. We desperately need you, God. Help our unbelief. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.